Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to the Watermark OC Church Sunday Message. Watermark is a generational community that is crazy passionate about starting a conversation about God, your relationships, and authentic love. If you're interested in getting more information, please click the link in the show notes for next steps. Thanks again for listening. It's our hope and prayer that this message would transform your life. Thanks, you guys, for coming out. I am Ben, the associate pastor, the one also wearing a jacket, uh, as I've been set up to say this morning. We are starting a new series. It's called Worthy. It's a great study in the book of Luke, by the way, the gospel book of Luke. You know, that's the first four books of the New Testament there, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You can get that out right now. We're going to be in chapter 5. But it's a wonderful reminder in this series, Worthy. And I bet that's like one of your first reactions when you heard the title of the series, is you immediately thought about yourself. Am I worthy? Could I be worthy? And this series will remind us that we're made worthy by what Jesus did on the cross, first and foremost. And that also when we begin a relationship with Jesus, that there's an impact, there's a response, there's something we do in churn. We bring a worthy offering. We bring our best, like Bucky said. And I, like I said, I would be willing to bet that everyone in the room, when they hear that word worthy, there's, there's one of two feelings, maybe even both at the same time. We feel inadequate. We feel inadequate. We feel unworthy. We feel like we're, we're unable. We're not enough. We're less than. Every human being on the face of the earth has faced that feeling at one point or another. And yet there's another thing about us humans, and that we're forgetters. We're dirty little forgetters, okay? We forget. We forget what it means to follow Jesus. A lot of us have been following him for some time now. And yet when you meet a guy like Jesus, there are radical implications in your life. Things get shooken up. Things should look differently. And those are two types of us in the room this morning. We feel inadequate. We battle that. And we also battle our chronic forgetfulness. But regardless, regardless where you're at this morning, we want to answer this question this series. We want to answer the question of how does God through Jesus, how does he turn our inadequacy into bringing a worthy gift, to bringing our best? How does he transform us from inadequacy and less than to bringing our very best? That's what we want to get at in this series. That's the outcome. We're starting with the end in mind. I'm giving you the secret. That's where we hope to go in this series. But it makes me think of a question, you know, if you're, you're new to this Jesus thing or you've been following Jesus for some time, it's a question my, one of my toughest and best supervisors used to ask all the time. He used to say, so what? So what? You've run a great church event. You got a new program. You finished a good project. So what? He would say, what's next? What does it mean? What's it connected to? And you guys, I think we have to ask that question because for a lot of us who've kind of done this God, church, Bible thing, we've maybe forgotten what a radical call that when Jesus enters our life, that meeting him means we're different. That, that meeting him means we drop what we're doing. We drop everything and we follow him. That meeting Jesus means that we put him at the center of our heart. He's the center of every decision, of every investment, of every deal, of every relationship. And so Bucky and I are hoping that as we march towards Easter, the series is going to take us all the way to Easter. We're hoping that there's something tangible, maybe even specific, for each one of us that we can say, okay, God, I feel prompted. After eight, nine, ten weeks of going through this, here's what I want to bring forward. I'm starting to believe that I'm made worthy by what you did on the cross, and there's a response that I have. There's an action item I have through that beautiful truth. Okay, we respond to God, we bring him our best. 
We're in Luke 5, and here's the big idea. Here's the big idea for this morning. To walk after me, follow me, Jesus used to say, follow me. To walk after me, to follow Jesus in power, pain, and the way that we proclaim. Jesus always used to say that, follow me. When he went out and he grabbed the disciples, his first leaders, his first followers, follow me. That word, that term in the original Hebrew is this, this term, lechaharai, lechaharai, walk after me, follow me, come behind me, get in line here and follow me. And Jesus invites every single one of you, whether you're new and you're checking it out, I'm, we're giving you a heads up, this is what it means to follow Jesus. Or you've been doing it for years. There's some power that comes with following Jesus. And there's some pain, some tough things that comes with following Jesus. And it also affects the way we talk about him, the way we do life, the way we proclaim, the way we go on mission. So check this out. This is uh, chapter 5, verse 1. This is what it says in Luke. Now Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and the crowd was pressing around him to hear the word of God. He saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, also known as Peter, and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Okay, so the scene is set. The scene is set, and let me ask you a question. How many of you enjoy fishing? You enjoy fishing? Okay, you're right, just like me. It's about equivalent to getting a root canal. Way to go. Who has time for that? No one's got time for fishing. I'm sorry. I took a survey, and then I roasted you. Just deal with it. Okay, fine. A follow-up question on that. Follow-up question. You guys, you raised your hand. Do you have, like, a favorite uh, freshwater spot? Got a, f- a freshwater spot? that you like to go to? No, we're going to, there's a couple. That's what I thought. Maybe like half a dozen people that have an actual fresh water spot. So let's make this more particular to us. How many of you have ever taken a trip to the Newport or Huntington Pier? Anyone? Newport or Huntington Pier in our backyard? Yes. Many of us, probably all of us have been down there and we've seen the guys fishing. It's salt water. This lake that we're talking about is fresh water. We've been to that place. Picture that place. Picture the Huntington Pier and there's droves of people. Sometimes maybe you've seen for a special event that that has actually happened. There's droves of people, and they're all crowded around one guy, and that's the lake at Gennesaret, also known as the Sea of Galilee. That's this lake. It's the regular fishing hole. This is where all the guys would come through, and they go fish. It's in the northern part of Israel next to modern-day Syria, okay? This is the watering hole. And yet today, they got this guy. He's out there wearing a tunic, and everyone is crowding around him. They're flocking to this guy, and why? Why are they craning their necks just to get a look at this guy? Because they don't want to miss a single word. That's what the passage says. They were crowding around, pressing around Jesus. They didn't want to miss a single word. Why was that? This leads us to our first idea of what walking with, walking behind, getting behind and following Jesus looks like. But you have to look back at chapter 4. If you look at chapter 4, this is what they said. This was often said about Jesus in the Gospels. Then Jesus in the power of the Spirit, this is from Luke 4. And the power of the Spirit returned to Galilee, and news about him spread throughout the surrounding countryside. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by all. And this is, the, this is the kicker. They were amazed at his teaching because he spoke with what? He spoke with what? Authority. You got some authority. Say it with authority, okay? He spoke with authority. They always use that word when describing Jesus' words. There's a side note here, really, something really interesting here. That, that a rabbi or a teacher in the first century like Jesus, when they would go speak at a synagogue, which is like a church, like we're in today, but way back then, when they would go to speak, the teacher or rabbi would often cite their authorities. They would cite the other rabbis, the famous rabbis or teachers of their time, as evidence, as support for whatever their point was, whatever they were sermonizing about. They would support as evidence these famous other teachers and rabbis. And you know, 
the difference is, is Jesus, he didn't do that, did he? No, he, he cited himself. His words were enough. They stood alone with unbelievably unique and worthy power and authority. And where did it come from? It came from the sponsorship of God. It came from the authority of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit that lived in him. That's the difference between Jesus and every other teacher. He cited himself. So why? Why are the people crowding around Jesus this day on the lake? Because he's the only true, worthy human being they've ever met, that they've ever seen. And he's made worthy by that authority. So, so look at, think about you. That's Jesus. That's great. He's the only perfect human being ever, Ben. What about me? What does it mean for me to come after Jesus, to follow after his steps? Well, I think what it means is that we get to walk in that authority, you guys. We get to walk in that authority. You know, that's a, that's a famous verse. Is it the same power that raised Jesus from the dead? The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And that's an assumption we have at the church. We believe in the resurrection. So it makes us Christians. That same power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in you and me. And that's crazy and wild, and it should make us awestruck. And yet, I think most of us, we walk around, and we don't have the power to raise our kids from getting up out of bed in the morning. We feel like we're lacking authority just to do everyday things. And guess what? You know what? I think that's where we're supposed to live. I think that's where we're supposed to live. Our authority, how am I supposed to grow in this authority and power, Ben? In the small moments. In the small moments. Every single day, you're faced with an opportunity in your work in your marriage, in your parenting, in your relationships. Yes, it's so wonderful. I get up here and I get to say, look at guys, I've been married to my wife for 10 years. That's awesome. And we may make it to 15 and 20. I know we will. But the content and quality of those 10 years or 15 years or 20 years and the assurance that I make it past those is in the small moments. The thing that will have my marriage have any authority or any power or any influence is built on the day-to-day small moments of walking after Jesus. That's what it means to be in the small moments and follow Jesus. So that's pretty cool, right? We get to share in his power. Whoa, awesome, radical, cool. But that's not all, okay? (laughs) Walking after Jesus can be painful too. It can be a painful experience. Let's look how Peter and these guys experienced it, okay? Here we are. Then Jesus sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out in the deep water and lower your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. But at your word, I will lower the nets. If I'm Simon Peter, Peter, if I'm Simon Peter, Peter, I'm like, no, 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 I'm not going back out there. We've had a long, hard night, and I'm dog-tired. I don't want to go back out. You know, I'll never forget, um, I was about 10, 11, 12 years old, and I got my first surfboard. I maybe had like a couple lessons. I didn't know what I was doing. We were from the Inland Empire, okay? We moved from Riverside, and now here we are near a beach, and I got my first board, and my older brother takes me out. He takes me out to this spot called uh, Blackie's. It's Newport Beach, like 21st, 22nd, 23rd Street. They call it old man's, okay? Probably because like old dudes like to surf there. But not just that. I think they call it old man's because it's a nice, slow, rippling wave. It just comes in. It's kind of easy. It's a great starter package for a new surfer. Not on this day, okay? On this day, it's about the size of a full-grown man, okay? They call it overhead. It's overhead. It's huge. It's big. And we're paddling out. 
And I am, it, it takes one experience, okay? It just takes one time to have one of those waves come down on your face for you to have the fear of God installed in you, okay? You, it's not going to be okay. You're going to be out of breath. You're going to be worried for your life. It's tough. It's gnarly to have to paddle back out. When God calls you to paddle back out. Here's the other thing when the swell is huge. You have to get all the way out where, to get ahead of where the waves are breaking. They call it the lineup. To get way out there when the waves are pumping, you have to go a quarter mile, half mile just to get out there. All the while, the waves, yes, are smacking you in the face. Okay, I don't know if you could tell. Like, I, I work out, okay? I don't, I don't know if you could tell. But every now and then I get to hit some weights, even with seven babies at home. Every now and then we hit it, okay? But when I'm put in the water, even today, I might as well be that weakling 10-year-old again because I'm not making it out without huffing and puffing. I'm almost drowning even without the waves, okay? It's a tough scenario. Now we have a little bit more of a relevant picture of what Peter's feeling. When Jesus says, go back out to deep water. He is dog tired. They are so tired. I don't want to go back out. But walking after Jesus is the response that Peter gives. Okay, at your word, at your word, I'll do it. I'll go back out. This work of walking after Jesus, you guys, and bringing God our best, our problem is too many of us, too many of us refuse when Jesus prompts us to get back in the boat and go out. And sometimes I wish we had a new kind of Christian bumper sticker that says, uh, we do tough stuff. I wish, I wish that's the sticker that we could all rock we understood that it was painful, but we understood what was on the other side of that pain. It's so hard, though, because we live in the culture of automatic. <laughs> we live in the times of delivery service. Trust me, I use them, okay? Amazon groceries has hooked a large family up. It's a huge gift, okay? We have delivery service, quick serve restaurant, Insta culture. And you know, one of my favorite leadership authors, though, what they're fond of saying, they say in leadership and in life, there's no such thing as easy bake, no such thing as Easy Bake. You guys remember the Easy Bake oven? You guys are thinking, you're too young to know what that was. Well, they made one in the 80s too, all right? They made a 60s one, a 70s one, an 80s one. And if you have no idea what an Easy Bake oven is, that's fine. They have a counterpart that's modern. It's called Instapot, okay? <laughs> Instapot is a product. You can throw raw chicken in this thing, and 20 minutes later, it's cooked. The whole thing. The whole bird is cooked after about roughly 20 minutes in the Instapot. It's raw, and it's a whole bird, like this size, and it's cooked. It's crazy, right? It's nuts. And that's what we're constantly drenched in and inundated in is that kind of speed, that instant culture. Here's the point. In our pursuit of worthy, in our pursuit of walking after Jesus, we can't be a people that settles for Instapot, for easy bake. We've got to be those followers of Jesus that's willing to do tough stuff to paddle back out when he calls. So, the pain, it, it continues, but there's power even in the pain. That's what we'll find. That's what we'll see if we stick with him long enough and we can hang in there. We can find out there's power on the other side of this. Look at what happens. Verse 6. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets started to tear. So they motioned to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats. So they were about to sink. God does a miracle. God goes and does a miracle. And Peter and his associates have been doing some labor-intensive, long hours, little results type of work. When Jesus says, yeah, just, just go out for one more paddle. You see, when Peter says, okay, master, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. He's saying, I'm willing to walk after you. And look what happens, you guys. He invites Peter to be a part of a very worthy miracle, a transcendent thing, a thing from outside our natural realm, 
He allows Peter to be a part of that. But what happens next is my personal favorite because the pain, the pain, but the power of the pain continues in verse eight. Check this out in verse eight. This is what it says. When Simon, Simon Peter, Peter, goodness gracious, Peter, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Verse nine. For Peter and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. Now, Peter's response actually encourages me. I love Peter's response right here. I resonate with Peter's response. Why? That's a weird thing to be encouraged by, Ben. Someone falls on their face and says they're unworthy. What? That resonates and encourages me. Because, you guys, because it's an important starting place for every human being on earth. We have to start there. And frankly, I don't see a lot of people starting there. People don't want to admit that they cannot save themselves. We don't want to admit that. Whether you're new to church, whether you're, whether you're still asking questions, or whether you've been a believer for a long time, we don't like to admit that we're powerless, do we? We don't want to make that admission. You see, Peter does two things that are so critical for learning to walk after Jesus, learning to follow in his steps. He does two things. He admits that he can't do it on, its own, on his own, and that's painful. He admits he can't do it on its own, and he admits that Jesus Christ is Lord. He uses a different word. Remember, he said master before, now he says Lord. That's a, t- that's a totally different thing. Master is, I respect you because you're known and you're a teacher and you appear to be a rabbi, so I'm going to give you a, a common day uh, term of respect. And then he moves to Lord. Wow, I can see that the sponsorship of God is in and through you. I'm humbled just to be around you and be a part of an experience, this transcendent thing, this miracle. To make that admission is so important. It's part of Peter's becoming worthy. Well, How? This is like a mystery, you guys. This is part of like a, like a the Christian mystery of how does an unworthy thing like me and you be, become worthy? How are we made worthy? Well, I love what Paul says in Romans chapter 3. He gives a great, he spells it out so beautifully. This is what he says. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For everyone has sinned. We fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us what? Freely makes us what? right in his side. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe what Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ, sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. That's the gospel in a nutshell. That's the gospel in, in two sentences. It follows a very straightforward pattern. I was unworthy. I am, I am a sinful man, Lord. And you made me worthy by what you did on the cross. And I accept that good and perfect gift of grace. It's a one, two. But guess what? You can't skip the one. There's no other pathway to the good news and the saving grace of what Jesus did on the cross except through that admission that I am unworthy. Peter has figured something out. And we would all do so well to understand that and bear that deeply as we talk to ourselves and we talk to others who are unchurched and they're trying to figure out what does it mean to follow Jesus. A lot of folks want to try a new deal, Christianity, from whatever their other worldview is. They want to try a new system because maybe it feels good and maybe it sounds good and maybe it has all these great promises. So I'm just going to try it, but without forsaking and repenting and confessing the fact that I had a need to begin with. Why would you ever want to taste of the cross? Why would you ever want to follow after Jesus' steps if you didn't have a need to? Peter sees that need. There's no other starting place, you guys, to a, to a redeemed and worthy life and bringing a worthy offering than what Paul's talking about right here and what Peter experienced at the feet of Jesus. But guess what? Peter becomes one of the most 
powerful and influential leaders of all time. He started on his face. I love what one guy says. He says that an, an unbroken Peter, and this is Peter being broken, an unbroken Peter would have been an intolerable Peter. Would have been a Peter who you, you wouldn't want to suffer, may not want to hang out with, if he hadn't gone through these types of trials and met Jesus right at his feet. Okay, so if you're thinking, oh man, that sucks, Ben. <laughs> I don't want to have to come to God groveling on my belly. If you're thinking that, oh man, that's not a cool first place, you know, a good starting place. Well, look at how Jesus responds. Beautiful. This is how we move from inadequacy to worthiness. Okay, just look at how Jesus responds. This is what he says. This is all you need to know about being made worthy and walking after Jesus. He says, uh, there it is. Okay. And so, astonished were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's business partners. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching people. So when they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything. They left everything and followed him. So we have this fun and weird moment of Jesus responding to Peter's shock, his awe, his profound respect, and, and even unworthiness to what Jesus did. And Jesus says two things. He says, don't be afraid. And he says, let's go fish for people, whatever that means. Take it for what it is. They heard it that way. They would have heard it that way. That's weird and, and, and challenging. But he says, don't be afraid. And he says, we're going to go fish for people. So let's look at the first one for a second. Don't be afraid. You, you see what Jesus does? You see what he does in his response in terms of what he does for Peter's heart, where Peter's heart at, is at, his heart position in that moment of total inadequacy and feeling unworthy? He says, I choose you. I'm choosing you. I'm making you worthy as we speak, Peter. Now, if you, you take a first read of this and you really take it for what it is and you say, man, these guys left everything. They just said, forget it. Let's go follow this guy who we just met a couple chapters ago. You may be thinking, why would they do that? Like what would have compelled them? Because that is a profound thing that they would have just taken up and left. But here's the deal. You'll never know the answer to that unless you understand the way the Jewish rabbi selection system worked in the first century. I know that's a lot to take in, okay? Unless you know how the Jewish rabbi selection process worked in the first century, you may never know. But here's what you need to know. In the first century, this is how it worked. Young men, very young men, teenagers at age 15, actually, they would have been faithful Jews. Like every single young boy is a faithful Jew would have gone to school. They would have gone to Bible school. And all along, they have one objective in mind to get to follow one heck of an epic rabbi, to get to go come after, to walk after one of the best rabbis of the time. Think of it as today's modern Ivy League, okay? Their whole orientation, their whole family's hopes and prayers is around getting baby boy through Bible school into following an epic rabbi. And these boys, Peter, James, and John, they didn't get in. They weren't chosen. So on this day, they've failed in Bible school and they've failed at their fishing trade. They are failing in the one thing they're supposed to do. They already had one major setback when they were not chosen. These boys already figured they've missed the chance. The ship has sailed. They're too late. They are not worthy. But this rabbi, you guys, that we follow, this rabbi that we read about, Jesus, is so different. You see, back then in the first century, what the applicants had to do was go and sit at the feet of the rabbi and say, oh, please, look at I can answer all the questions. And they beg and they plead to be a part of it. What does Jesus do? What's his selection process like? Did he sit on a throne with amazing robes and he was so regal and you could only approach me? He goes out to them. 
He sought them out. He's by the coastline saying, come in after me, follow me. Not with Jesus. He ran after them. He picked them. He picks you. If you're like me and you sometimes suffer from that inadequacy and feeling less than, and you wonder, oh, will God chose me? And God does, does God chose me? He has. He does. He comes after you. That's a unique distinctive of our God. I want you to know that this morning. They've been chosen. So yes, when they get that familiar call, that familiar call, walk, walk after me in the original language, they're like, drop everything. And they skip and jump and they're ready to go follow this guy and be a part of his mission in the world. They follow. So if you're feeling unworthy, guess what? He picks you too. Okay, and lastly, go fish for people. This is weird. The band, you guys can come up. What does it mean to fish for people? We're gonna go fish for people. Well, well, I hope by now you're beginning to see yourselves in the process of moving from inadequacy that God can in fact use your inadequacy. He can do a lot. He can do a lot with that proclamation. I'm, I'm unworthy, God use me. He will make you worthy. He will make you worthy if you can make that admission. But what offering do we bring? The whole series, remember the tagline? Bring God our best. Well, that's wonderful, Ben, but you haven't even spoken to the how. What do we learn from the passage about the how? Well, they dropped their boats and they left everything and they followed him. They followed him on mission to proclaim, to be a part of proclaiming good news. So how do we come after him right now? The best way to interpret, okay, fishing for men is this. Jesus is using it as a metaphor for mission. It's a metaphor for the type of mission that they're going to go on. And the way that we proclaim good news, the way that we're part of this mission is everything. These three disciples, they would have got that. That's what they understood in the text, is that they got to be a part of the mission. What mission? Well, you have to remember, at the time of this writing, in the first century, it's a tough world for these guys. They're living in a triple taxation system. You think taxes are bad now? Try holding on to 5% of it. I mean, it's harsh. It's rough. And when they can't pay the taxes, the guys take their kids and put them into slavery. Their indebtedness, even to the point of their kids, and the shirt off their back, the Bible talks about in the Gospels. They're oppressed. They don't have freedom to move around. They have this foreign regime that is constantly lording over them, and they're waiting in expectation for the Savior, the so-called Savior they heard about hundreds of years ago. They're starting to doubt. They're starting to wonder. They haven't had a prophet, a messenger of God speak in so long. What is it that we're even doing anymore? If these guys see, wow, This guy could be the one, and we're going to go be about that work in the world, partnering in the redemption of souls, partnering in in the redemption of relationships and marriages and families and homes. We get to go be a part of that work. Okay, well, what does it mean, Ben, to bring an offering today? That was for them. That was their times. That That was their how. What does it look like for us to walk after him? What does it look like for us? You see, what it looks like for us and our mission today, because we're not enslaved, we're not oppressed like the first century Jews. We live in the most developed and advanced society and culture and technology of all time. If you read some of these guys who study, you know, poverty and they study illness, they'll tell you, they'll look at the numbers. It's never been this good in terms of some of those measurements. Yet here's a very interesting way to look at it. That's such an important application for us, specifically at Watermark, that I want to get to. If you asked a millennial, for example, someone who's 18, 25, 30 years old, like myself, if you ask them, how do you feel like the world's going? How do you th- feel like we're doing? They'd say, man, it's bad. It's the worst. It's so divisive. There's so much conflict. There's so much infighting. What's going on? And the church is just as, you know, hypocritical as ever, and it's so negative. 
forgetting for a second why they believe that and the different information that they've consumed that, 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 that d- distracts us and keeps us from seeing some of the things that God's doing in the world. Forgetting that for a second, I want to share to you what the generations, talking about the generations, has to do with our mission of walking after Jesus. What does it have to do with Watermark's mission? We're sent, just like these guys. We have to drop everything, but how, Ben? How are we going to do that? You know, there's something so fascinating. We took a survey. If you weren't here, sorry. We, we collected about 100 cards, survey cards, from the last two or three weeks ago. And I just got the spreadsheet last week, and I was looking at some of the findings, some of the stats, and one of them just popped off the page. I think it's a stunning, stunning figure. It says that here at Watermark, 71% of the church has been a believer for 20 years or more. Isn't that amazing? 70% of this church... 70% pretty much boxed in on these four walls this morning has been a, been a believer for 20 or more years. You know what I see when I read that? The incredible wealth of mentors and teachers who could take up the call to help the next generation walk after Jesus as they walk after Jesus. That's the call we have, you guys. That's the application we have, you guys, to walk after Jesus. What does that look like? You can grab someone of the next generation and help them see the world through a biblical lens, to help them see the world through the Gospels, to help them see the world through a lens of worthy, redeeming, missional work. So I want to say this as as we wind down, as we close. uh, We're looking ahead to Easter. We're going to be in this series for eight, nine weeks or so. What is it for you? Maybe you feel that call to be a mentor, to be a teacher, to equip someone who doesn't know what they believe and and, and they believe one thing the next day because culture tells us it's right and then the next day it's wrong and you can help guide them and and walk with them. Regardless of what age you are, you can mentor up, you can mentor down, great. I'd love to hear about how God wants to use you in a mentoring team like we have at Watermark. Maybe it's something else. What does it look like for you to respond with a worthy gift to God in the seasons we march and head towards Easter. What is your worthy gift? So as we go into these next two songs, I'm gonna pray and there's tables here where we take communion at the front and, and two at the back. And that's the invitation, you guys. If you're anything like me, you said, you said yes to Jesus a long time ago. Man, sometimes I forget. Sometimes I forget, yeah, even as the pastor, I forget at how much more I can drop my nets and follow him. I can drop everything and follow Jesus and walk after him. I've lost sight of that. After 20 years, I'm one of those. After 20 years, yeah, even getting baptized in, you know, junior high school. That time, is it doesn't always serve me well. I need to have a snapback wake-up call to what does it mean to walk, walk after Jesus right here and now. God, how are you calling me into that in 2019? How are you calling me into that in the season of preparation for Easter? Because I want to reflect your worthiness to the world and those who don't know you, those who are hurting and broken and have a backwards way of seeing the world. What is that for you? Let's pray. Jesus, I'm so thankful for the gospel of Luke. I'm so thankful for the way it still speaks to us so thankful for the way that you can do a lot with an inadequate and less than feeling bunch of people. Thank you, Jesus, that you are made strong, that you are made powerful in our weakness. That's what your word says, Lord God. Your strength is made perfect in our weakness. 
It means that when we come to the end of ourselves, there you are in the fullness of your authority and power. So for those in the room right now who are feeling unworthy still, would you meet them right now this morning? Show them that you can do a, a heck of a whole lot with their feeling of inadequacy. Would you redeem it though? That's what I would ask. Redeem it, God. And bring those sentiments and feelings and maybe even lies of unworthiness. Bring those into the very worthy power and authority of your spirit, God, that each one of us would feel that inside ourselves. That's what your word says, God, that for everyone who has said yes to Jesus, we're given the gift of your spirit. So we don't have to live in those lies of unworthiness. God, I pray that we would bring a gift. There'd be something we could bring in our time, our talent, our treasure that would serve you in this mission we have here in the 21st century for every person in this room. Lead us and guide us and speak to us loud and clear what that is. I pray in Jesus' name. We hope that this message has challenged and encouraged you. If you need prayer, would like to join a small group community, or are interested in partnering with our work throughout Costa Mesa and Orange County, please go to watermarkoc.com. We would love to start a conversation.